What's up? Welcome back to Project Freelance. My name is Kay Anagonio and I'm your host here on the show all about freelancing. Whether you are a freelance filmmaker, photographer, musician, audio engineer, producer, entrepreneur of any kind, I've had some NFT artists on the show as well. Whatever you do that lies in the freelancing world, this is the podcast for you. Thank you for tuning in this week. So I'm speaking to my friend Seeger Rawls this week, and he is based out of Nashville. He's a music producer and mixer, super cool guy. I've been working on some stuff with him and his crew recently, and I'm super excited to have him on the show to share his insights into the audio production world with you guys. Just so you know, there's a few like hiccups here and there in this episode where his audio dipped out because of like internet connection issues or whatever. So there might be like some gaps in the episode there. I think there's like three gaps uh, that are kind of noticeable, but it's still a great episode. So I hope you guys stick around to the end. Before we get into it, a few things. First of all, I have a photography book out called No Tracers, an Urban Explorer's Diary. It's all about exploring abandoned places. It's my photography, my stories, and I hope you guys want to support my art. I also have backpacks, duffel bags, photo prints, hats, all kinds of stuff at justtheletterk.com slash no tracers. Go check it out. Go pick something up. And if you guys want to listen to my other podcast, No Tracers, it's all about exploring abandoned places, right? And I have guests from all around the world talk about their urban exploring stories. So if you guys are into that kind of stuff, definitely check out that podcast. The next thing I need to let you know is that there's a bunch of links to gear down in the description that I think will help you in your freelancing career especially if you do audio or if you are a videographer or photographer. So check out that stuff down there. And lastly, I need to thank our partner on this podcast, Liquid Death Water. If you haven't heard of Liquid Death, well, get ready to murder your thirst in three, two, one. From the streams of the Austrian Alps comes a new kind of water. A water that is sure to raise you from your grave. If you're tired of buying cases of plastic water bottles that contain carcinogens and God knows what else, or if you're trying to lower your waste footprint, Liquid Death comes in beautifully rugged aluminum cans. Murder your thirst with a can of Liquid Death. Check the link in the description and use code just the letter K at checkout for 10% off your order. Liquid death. Murder. Your thirst. So head to liquiddeath.com and use code just the letter K or click the link down in the description and get a case or however many cases of water you would like. Get a set of koozies and use code just the letter K at checkout for a 10% discount on your order. Thank you, Liquid Death, for partnering with me. I appreciate you guys. Without further ado, Seeger, please introduce yourself and tell everyone what you do as a freelancer. Welcome to Project Freelance. What's up? My name is Seeger Rawls. I own and operate Phoenix Studios in Nashville, Tennessee. We are a full ground-up recording mix master facility, um, as well as you know working with clients that are all around the world as well. It's not just local work, it's remote work as well. Um, I've been doing this for 10-ish years, but only three years full-time professionally by myself. So take me back to when you first got into music. What made you get inspired to to dive into music production in the first place? Um, well, really, it was I've always been a, a, a practical. I just the idea of going through 
extra work and extra methods to get the same product um, has been something I've never been fond of. So when I was 14, 15, I mean, I'm in high school, I'm in cover bands, we're absolutely horrible. Um, but I was, you know, they were talking about, let's put a record together. Let's, let's go to the studio. Let's find somebody that records. And I was like, oh yeah, that's sick. Awesome. But also what if I did it? You know, and I was just, I always wanted to do drum covers in the, in the garage and um, just be cool, you know, YouTube cool drummer. So I bought some mics, bought an interface, bought a doll and just dove head in into, you know, making that a reality for myself. And then when it came time to looking at other elements and other instruments, I was just like, guys, what if we, you know, saved a bunch of money and, and I tried to figure it out myself having no clue what I was doing. I mean, the negative clue what I was doing. I was I was super lost because I was, thought that you could just jump into this stuff without years of knowledge and practice, and uh, just compete commercially. And I was I was very very wrong. But I mean, it sort of it just I over time working with it, trial and error, and finding small successes um, through that trial and error really cultivated the passion for me. I think the practicality came first and the passion came second where I just wanted to do everything audio after that. When I, I found a love for the puzzle that is created in mixing a song and putting the elements together as well as the the fun times you can have recording and making it happen. Yeah, and for you, like, so, so miking drums is like a specialty all in its own. And oh, yeah. how long did it take for you to like master that element alone that's one of that's one of my favorite things that i do and i think that i do well um is because that's that's where it all started was literally just drums i just wanted to get them to not sound like garbage camera audio in my parents basement which is what it was for many years um how long did it take i mean you you level up when you when you start working with more talented artists and bigger bands and better rooms and better quality gear like you level up exponentially so it's one of those things where in the beginning oh yeah it was a mess not only does it i mean it was a mess because i didn't know what to do past the actual physical miking stage you know i was i was a sloppy player or my technique you know it it all goes in so many puzzle parts to make a good recording that uh i would say it was probably five or six years in before I ever had anything I was proud of. Um, you know, and so that's just gear upgrades. That's knowledge upgrades and absorbing other people's strategies and everything that comes along with, you know, learning more about my craft. Um, so I would say, yeah, within the last within the last five years, I'd say I'm getting to that master stage. I'm really every time I go in, I go in with intent now and I know what I want to use, how I want to use it. And I can make adjustments based off what level of artist I have I'm working with or what kind of room we're in or scenarios, you know, what kind of hardware we have. And I think that instead of going with that one thing that I know and love, I feel confident enough to literally record with anything I'm given in any room and make, you know, a, a commercially competitive production regardless. So I would say probably took five years, five years of trial and error straight up. Yeah, that makes sense. And that's that's kind of the similar story to uh what they what my college or my trade school said about how long it would take to like build your business it was like 5 to 7 years and to master your craft would take that long 
And when they told my dad that, he was like, that's too long. That is way too long. (laughs) Like, Kay needs to get this, like, off the ground faster than that. And they were like, well, I mean, this is what it's going to take them to to get it off the ground. You know, it just takes time and patience and hard work, you know, and to build any business, it, it takes several years to do that. And so tell me about your first paid client. So you were doing stuff for your, your own projects back in like high school, early, like your, your late teens. Um, so tell me about your first paid project. That was not your own project. Sure. Um, oh man, it's so good. It's, (laughs) I was, (laughs) I couldn't have been better than 16. And I was working with my best friend that we worked at the same pizza place together and we were like, yo, let's let's do it. Let's let's seek this client out. These guys are cool. They play. They write cool songs. Um, and it was just high school kids we went to school with. But uh, I could tell you the name of the band was Let's Move Mountains. Um, no, sorry. Forgive me. They rebranded to Let's Move Mountains. Before that, they were Break the Century. And man, we spent a lot of time recording and re-recording and re-recording and re-recording just through little pieces of gear we could get and upgrades and sounds that we thought were incredible that were just so, so, so bad. Um, Not at fault of the artist. It was simply us pretending we knew how to make records when we super did not. Um, It was great. We made a song called Forget. Um, It's it's every time I finish a major commercially competitive mix nowadays, I literally go back and listen to that on YouTube just to laugh at myself at the difference. Um, but all that aside, that was my first paid project. We probably made something like $40 for two months of work. Um, (laughs) (laughs) cause as you can imagine, they're like asking their parents for $10 to like pay the studio guys. And we, I mean, I, we literally made, might've worked for three or four months on this one song cause we had no idea what we were doing. I mean, that's the bottom line is, you know, I didn't know what a compressor was. I would literally turn the track up and be like oh i can hear the drums now and then i was like dang it's too quiet and i would turn the track down i didn't know what automation was i didn't know how compressors worked i didn't know anything at all i was just so mad that i couldn't make the puzzle pieces fit um and so i mean that was that's where the patience and the determination comes in it's like you you can dive in but you have to fail a ton of times to be really good at what you do or quit and move on to something else and that's not you know you'll never build a successful business that way but that was my first paid client. Um, I can flash forward like four years to my first paid professional client. There's it's a whole different scenario there. You know, we got in, we made the song. It's awesome. You know, stuff like that is just four years of knowledge gap between my first paid client and my first professional paid client, I would say. Wow. And so between those two clients, that first paid client and that first professional paid client, Tell me about your like education over that time. Did you go to school for any like formal education? Are you completely self-taught? Uh, tell me more about your education background. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I am 100% self-taught until the last three years, maybe. Um, the reason I don't want to say 100% self-taught is because I've not been directly mentored, but I have sought out um time and connections with other professionals and sort of, you know, we build off of each other. And even though it's not a mentorship, like me going and hanging out with someone like Billy Decker, who's an amazing uh, country mixer here in Nashville, um, number one hits, you know, that kind of guy, 
it's just going and hanging out with him. You know, like, hey, do you have any time? Like, I'll just sit in. I don't even, it's not that he's trying to teach me or that I'm an intern. It's just that we're hanging out and he's, I'm picking up tricks and tips along the way. Um, but for the first, for the first six or seven years, it was completely self-taught trial and error, YouTube videos, you know, anything I could get my hands on and absorb even books, you know, reading material about the science and the physics behind recording and trying to understand things such as phase and, and all these important parts that are just day to day common sense now that were huge things that I had to, to grasp as a beginner. Um, and then really it was just online courses are great. Um, there's a lot of misinformation on YouTube. It's not that the people don't have ill intent or anything. It's just that everything contradicts itself in some form when you go from one channel to another. Um, there are some people that are, you know, just absolutely awesome, but there's some things that are just simply out of context. You know, if you watch a video on how to make a kick drum sound awesome, but they're talking about pop music and you're a metal engineer, like it's not the same practices. Mm -hmm. So I, I found that seeking out proper courses, um, you know, they're, they're expensive and they're time consuming, but they, they're made with that intent. It's not a one-off YouTube video for free. It's, educational content to make you a more well-rounded producer um i got into that stuff maybe two or three years ago and learned a lot so fast exponentially leveling up um it's super great but i would say my most formal education is hanging out with my friends that are better than me at what they do and you know just learning and showing them my tricks and uh, exchanging mixes and critiquing each other that you level up worlds faster that way. I literally have learned so much in the last three years on FaceTime calls and stuff like that. Yeah, it's a great way to go. Like as far as growing, you know, having your friends look at your stuff or listen to your stuff and critiquing it and giving you notes on that so you can improve. And we do the same thing in the film world, you know, like we have our friends watch our videos and they'll be like, yeah, this is great. But like your cuts could be faster. Your clips could be shorter, you know, things like that. That really does help you grow as a creator. So talk to me about gear. Uh, talk to me about the gear you use now, um, like whatever audio interfaces you use, microphones, anything like that, that will help like uh, people that are just getting into audio production kind of know like where you stand as, as a producer goes. And uh, tell me about building out your studio and what that process was like for you. Like how'd you learn how to dampen the sound and do all that stuff? Yeah, yeah, for sure. Uh, first to speak on what we were just talking about. Um, yeah, you pass your, your videos to your video buddies and they get back, but that support system right there is absolutely key in growing a freelance creative business. Um, it doesn't matter if it's somebody that's in your day-to-day, -day, everyday conversation life or just a buddy that you can shoot an email to and they'll check out your stuff whenever they can. Find those people. Those people are Absolutely great. And the the beauty of it is that like think I think we all romanticize the fact that people above us in their or further in their careers, I don't want to use above us, but further in their careers um, are impossible to reach out to or aren't human beings that will answer your your direct message or something of the sort. You know, it's we're all tethered with this social media that's so accessible that I think reach out to people that are further in their careers than you and freaking learn from them like it's easy um but yeah as far as the gear and whatnot um so i my background i've worked with analog gear i love it i love 
you know, consoles. I understand everything about it. I've informed and educated myself on how they work. However, my studio is 100% in the box. Um, I don't use external analog hardware. I do use real guitar amps, real cabs all the time. You know, I'm, I'm absolutely comfortable making records both digitally and in the analog world with real, real stuff. However, my studio for practical reasons, speed, all of it, um, is 100% in the box as far as my post-production and processing. And my hardware is just a collection of good mics that I know and trust and have used and then good preamps, which I don't use. Uh, a lot of guys will use um, custom preamps or not custom preamps, but the next level of you know individual preamps, the API, the Neves and all that. I am still at the range under that where I use um, a Focusrite Claret 8 Pre X chained in with a Focusrite Octopri. Um, I know these are pretty popular interfaces. A lot of guys, I grew up with a Pro 40. Um, I still have my 8-channel Sapphire Pro 40. It's you know consumer level, maybe $400 for 8 inputs, and it is it has lasted me almost a decade, and I still use it if I need it you know, to chain in more drum inputs. Um, but that's it. I use those inputs to record everything. I have a collection of mics that are pretty pretty standard run of the mill. There's some cool stuff, some good stuff, but it's nothing nothing absolutely crazy for the gear nerds. I mean, it's Audix drum mics and 57s, SM7B, AKG 414s. I mean, pretty simple stuff, pretty pretty common. Um, but that's what I've used. That's what I've always had. I love when um, bands bring in their own gear their own amps and everything just to do completely different sounds. But I am more than well equipped in the box with every freaking plugin you could ever, ever imagine. I'm kind of a, uh, for lack of better words, gear slut when it comes to plugins. I love them all. I'm not uh, one of those elitists that tries to stay to, to, to 10 plugins or something of the sort, which nothing wrong with that. It's It's practical and it's awesome. I just can't help loving the new sounds and the new technology that comes out but yeah that's that's it for gear pretty simple moving on to the actual studio and the facility um it's awesome uh we built it i mean you can see pictures on my website www.phoenixstudiosmusic.com but uh we built the studio in 30 days it was my father and myself with no prior contracting or construction experience I mean, it's pretty common sense. The walls need to be straight and everything needs to line up and be secure. But we uh, we renovated the entire top floor with new floors, hardwood, um, built in the walls, all the sound absorption and everything. Um, I guess to speak on the actual soundproofing and how I knew kind of what to do, my space is less than ideal for a couple of reasons because I had to work with asymmetrical an asymmetrical room and tight spaces in some in some instances because of the uh, space provided. I mean, I had to make do with what I had. So I have um, some diffusion on my back wall that's actually just a bunch of hand cut, hand stained wood. Uh, you can see that in the pictures. It's just to break up sound and then uh, a bunch of absorption panels that I built myself that are packed with just straight up wool. Um, the science behind it, I mean, learning, you can find that stuff almost anywhere online. Most of that is right. It's, it's less of that misinformation on YouTube because there's, there's many different ways to do it, but you're either doing it right or you're doing it wrong. 
And of course, there are going to be some people that maybe aren't saying exactly the science behind it. Um, but I'll tell you, I'll tell you what, if you're looking for a quick resource, George Lever is an incredible mixer. He mixed the last Loathe record, um, some just other records that I, I freaking love. He's so good at what he does. He just made a video about um, soundproofing and sound absorption that I thought was really, really informative and really good. But I mean, it basically comes down to like your early reflection points, where the speakers are going to bounce off the wall, where your bass is funneling into corners and stuff. And then I'll say the last thing that I use to help my room is Sonarworks. Um, there's a company made called Sonarworks that makes room calibration software, and it tries to flatten out your speakers and take out all the bad things about what your room does and take the room out of the equation, essentially. Um Really, really good stuff. I would I would recommend every engineer in the entire world to have it, even if they're in a treated room. Um, many of the pros that I know, love, and follow uh, use it because it it is game changing stuff. But yeah, uh, the the about the facility. Other than that, I mean, it's pretty run of the mill studio stuff. You're trying to separate and decouple different rooms from each other. Um, feel free to look at the pictures on my website and reach out to me and ask any kind of specific questions. I'd be happy to talk about it. Awesome. Thank you for providing that resource for people. If they have any questions to reach out to you, I'll be sure to obviously put your website and your socials down in the description of this episode so people can, you know, find you easily. Um, so how did you go from charging $40 an hour to finding your value and your worth? Like how long did that process take? Uh, you don't have to give me exact numbers or anything, but just give me like an idea of how long that process took and and what it feels like to finally be like charging what you feel you're worth. Yeah. Um, it's, it's a struggle, you know, starting out, you're always like, man, I really, it's that fear of missing out. You, you can't miss a client. You can't miss an opportunity. So you'll take what you get. Um, I know some producers are super against free work and some producers are very pro pre work. Um, I would say I fall on the pro side. You need, if you're starting out and you're an absolute nobody with no portfolio and nothing to show for your for your work, I would say do free work. I reached out to several people who I liked and said, "Can I make a song for you? Let's do it. I don't care." You know that first project that I took forty dollars for in in two thousand and twelve, eleven maybe. Um, that project was because I thought I was going to walk into the game and be big stuff and take my clients out to lunch and have them pay me and schedule me and make their appointment and no flexibility. You know, I thought I was super cool and that's how it was going to be. And then I took a giant step back and was like, wow, I just need to work with anybody who will have me. Um, so there was there was some time in that year where I was looking for stems, you know, web, there's plenty of forums and websites that people will throw their stems up for you to work on for free and just practice, essentially test yourself. Um, and I did a lot of that. But then when I got into the professional world in 2015, 16, 17, um, and I started charging again and trying to find my rates, it was a slow climb because of that fear of missing out and because of that, you know, need to capture 100% of the opportunities that'll work with you. I started out real cheap and I just got better and better. And you kind of, as you know, you get better, you can kind of walk those rates up until people maybe don't want to pay for them. And, you know, once you, I, it's the same information I hear from all the podcasts I listen to, but 
once you become a commodity, nobody wants to to buy your services. Um, so you have to be careful with your rates, but also don't undervalue yourself so that you're not screwing yourself and you're upset when you're up at four in the morning trying to fix the snare drum and you're making $3 an hour. Like I've been there, I've done that for records, even pro records. I have taken way too long and over, you know, thought myself too many times. But the um, the process basically for me went reaching out to better clients and having a better portfolio to back my rates and make my rates justifiable is that was the main step that's how i climbed with my rates and now i'm finally commercially competitive and being paid as such and every product has a different or every project has a different budget every band is in a different situation you'll find that uh, a lot of projects and bands are run by one guy um, they're solo. Pro- wow, guy. Uh, they're run by <laughs> they're run by one dude um, that's solo financing everything, you know, and it's it's really tough for them. So there's been times where I'll knock off my rates just because I want to make that a reality for that one guy. Um, you know, it's 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 just it's different for every single project. Um, and I mean, without, yeah, I don't, I don't need to give numbers because I'll tell you rates change. Rates are super flexible. Discounts are super flexible. It depends on what time I have available for your project, what your project is and how I can help you or how much I'm going to have to invest because my rates uh, will be higher for a band that say comes in and they're, they don't have a way of making their own demos or they don't have a person in the band that's tech savvy and understands recording engineering any of the any of the the tasks there because I'm going to have to spend a significantly longer amount of time walking them through the process or tracking those scratch tracks or even producing and composing and structurally changing their songs versus some bands I never even meet them and all their pre-pro is completely finished and they deliver it to me and it's edited it's tuned and it's ready to mix so there's such a spectrum of tasks that I can do or services I can provide that the rates the rates have to stay flexible. You have to know who you're working with, know your place in your market, and don't um, overcharge or or become a commodity by being you know too cheap or anything of the sort. I think that uh, rates, yeah, I guess I don't I don't mean to be redundant. Rates need to be flexible. You need to to know your market and know what you're worth. And it's absolutely okay to lower your rates for a temporary amount of time if you're not booking your calendar. If it comes down to yeah. paying the bills and getting those jobs, drop your rates. It's not a pride thing. It's absolutely fine. Your mortgage or your rent is not going to stop coming at you. Like be a, pre- be a creative, be a professional, or pick up a side job if you absolutely have to. That's totally fine. You know, making that jump from from part-time employment with a hobby on the side to full-time creative employment is a huge scary leap and uh, your rates have to back you up and your calendar has to stay full for you to make that jump yeah and how far out do you book yourself like are you like months booked out are you weeks booked out like what is your your calendar looking like these days compared to what it was like back then uh, like when you were first going professional and when you first like went full time, really, like what was your calendar like then? And what is it like now? I would say um, that I I always tell people I made my jump a little early. 
I made my jump for a different reason. I wasn't fully booked and professionally competitive when I made my jump to full-time. I was depressed. Um, I was serving tables to make that supplemental income, and I was I was really good at it. I made a ton of money. It was great, but I was just you know in the mindset of like, holy shit, I am just burning days. You know, all we have is time, and I'm burning days delivering cokes and hamburgers, and I hate this so much. I need to do something else. So I sort of forced myself to jump. Um, and my my calendar was fine. I could I had projects, I had things, but other than that, I mean, it was open. I had to spend a lot of time when I took that leap practicing and learning and up upgrading my skills so that I could book my calendar out. Right now, my calendar is um, it's it it fluctuates, and I like it the way I have it now better than booking out six months at a time. I book out projects as far as they need to. Um, so like my furthest booked out project right now might be five or six months away. I think we have some stuff in like March, maybe April. Um, but my day-to-day, I usually don't book out more than 30 to 60 days, one to two months. Um, the reason is because there's so much time to mix that I have to book in that calendar um, because you can't you can't always justify how fast a mix is going to go. Some mixes take one day and they are done. I'm so happy with it. It's perfect. But sometimes I have to come back and check and it might take three or four days. So I like to keep openings in my calendar intentionally to catch up. And then the other side of it is that if I could have a client reach out to me right now and say, hey, we got these stems tracked. Um, let's do it. Can, how fast can you put a mix together? So I keep spaces in my calendar very intentionally for that stuff because it, it happens abs- like weekly. I get, um, <laughs> for instance, over, <laughs> I, I just had a new intern start a couple days ago. And from the first day we were talking about the workload and what we were going to do, I gave him some editing to take home and uh, work on. 20 hours later, he comes back for his next session and I had seven new mixes that had been reached out to me <laughs> in, in 24 hours. I had three from one guy and then four other singles for different bands or different projects. And he was like, are you joking me? And I was like, no, here's the workload. Let's get it done. Um, <laughs> so Welcome. it's, it, yeah, it's crazy. Or, and you know, sometimes I might go two weeks without picking up a new project, but that's totally fine because I've already booked that month or two out and I'm working on other stuff anyways. Um, I prefer to keep it that way. I prefer to book everything as soon as the band is ready so that I don't have to worry about like how long it's going to take or the follow-ups. Now, the follow-ups are absolutely important. And they're an easy part of the job. Do it. Stay organized. Reach out to those people. You'll win the projects. It's so I love follow-ups. They're so great. Um, but yeah, my calendar stays about two months booked out, and I, I try to kind of book out my day-to-day about two weeks in advance so that I can know what I'm going to have time for and start telling people when I can have their mixes done and committing to deadlines without stretching myself too thin. Yeah, that's a great idea. I love the way you've set it up and I love that it works for you. You know, like, for example, I know uh, a bunch of tattoo artists that are booked like six to eight months in advance, which to me is like, like, that's awesome. But like, do you have any flexibility in that time? So I love that you keep those those windows of time open for the possibility of new things coming in. And for like a tattoo artist, that would mean like for walk-ins, you know, which is like another 
another form of income that you can can make off of like tattooing specifically. Um, So have you ever been screwed over, like not paid for a job, anything like that? This is one of my favorite questions because I feel like it happens to every freelancer at least one time. Oh, yeah. Um, So again, I'm sorry I keep going back. After you say something, I realize all the things I forgot to say. Um, But yeah, absolutely. Booking out eight months, even if you're capturing deposits, brings in a whole room for error with bands dropping the ball or you not getting files or them changing their mind. And that's not changing their mind to go with another guy. That's like changing their mind about band members can uh, have fights and break up and then now nobody can fund the project. So you lose that record that you had booked out six months away. It's the same thing with tattoo artists. They could somebody could change their mind or find a different artist in that time. So it's it's a dangerous game, even if you collect a deposit to book that far in advance. But at the same time, world-renowned mixers do it all the time because it's they're sought after. You know, we're as creative freelancers, the market is saturated, very, very, very saturated to where there's there's tons of guys that do what I do and can do it just as well as me. So you kind of have to be careful. And the flexibility is where, like, if a band, a really cool band, reaches out to me right now and says, "Hey, we want to do a test mix. We need it in four days." That flexibility saves my ass because if I didn't have it. And I said, sorry, guys, I can't re- I can't get that test mix to you for another two months. They'd be like, cool, we'll go with the other guy. Peace. And I might miss like a, an opportunity that I really, really, really wanted to work on. Um, but to speak on the screwed over question, absolutely. It happens to everybody. And you'll you'll learn from that failure. You know, it's not it's not the band's fault. A lot of times. I mean, some people are just bad people and it happens. Um, but if you get screwed over in a freelance creative somewhere, you probably did something wrong. And that's not to hate on yourself or be mad at yourself. It's to learn from it and protect yourself from the next time. So um, because I would say the the most day to day, the most annoying thing is people showing up late for their appointments. That's a small, tiny screwed over. It just sucks because I book out you know, multiple jobs a day sometimes. So if you show up late for your appointment, I'm an hour late on the mixes I told that guy I'd have to him tonight. That's little stuff, but like absolutely have I been screwed over with sending masters without collecting the back half of payment and people just ghosting um, or promising deadline, promising appointment times, booking out two weeks and not collecting a deposit. And then, oh, guess what? They got in a fight or somebody wrecked their car. And, you know, that's that's stuff you need to be flexible as a good person. Like if they wrecked their car, it's like, okay, well, then obviously, yeah, life comes first. You have to handle that. But because I booked that time out and I told other people that I couldn't do things for them, now I have to go pick up the pieces to find a way to get paid for that two weeks. Um, So, no, I've been fortunate to not be screwed over with malicious intent by bad people i've pretty much done a good job of vetting or having my buddies um you know sort of vet clients for me if it's somebody i really have no idea and it's hard to find social proof but that's the beauty of technology and social media today is that if a band reach out reaches out to me via my website or my forms or email facebook whatever it could be i just look them up I look them up, I see who these people are, I see how they act on social media and if they seem to be reliable and then I have personal conversations with them about budgets and responsibilities and timelines and those things 
are what you'll find will save yourself. Getting on the phone with somebody is the most important part of my client funnel. Um, because you can message someone all day, but until you've talked to them and reassured them that you have some sort of chemistry or connection with them and you're going to make a good record together, you never really know if they're going to be reliable or show up um, for that. So, yes, I have been screwed. My advice is always collect a deposit. It doesn't matter if it's 5% or 10% of the project. Like Collect a small deposit. If it's a $500 mix, 50 bucks is something that people don't often like to part with and waste. So that 10% deposit that I collect for most all of my projects usually seals the deal. They show up every time. And if it's a problem where I have a client that failed to do that or I'm really sketched out about something because it seems like they're not reliable, just increase your deposit rate. And if they're not willing to pay it, then they're probably not the client for you. Yep. I've definitely noticed that in my line of work as well. You know, collecting a deposit just secures that they're going to mo- most likely show up to to do the job or to be a part of the shoot, whatever it is. So I've definitely dealt with my fair share of being scammed, screwed over, things like that. And, you know, it, it always stings a little bit. But at the end of the day, it is unfortunately a part of what we do. Uh, so for you, my last question for you is what is something you know now that you wish you knew when you started? Business-wise or specifically mixing-wise? Both. Both. Okay. Um, oh, maybe we'll even throw a personal one in there. Business-wise. Sometimes I've people, this is, <laughs> I keep not wanting to spit out information I've heard verbatim from other podcasts and my mentors, but that is how you learn. So, um, sometimes you have to step over the small pile of money for the big pile of money. Sometimes you have to, to not take the instant gratification that is, oh, if I do this small thing right now, I'll see a little bit of success and you have to put in the work and cultivate good relationships with talented artists or talented creatives, I should say, and focus on those and put in the time. It doesn't matter if it's, you know, oh, I don't have time for that because I need to be mixing so much. Like, call your friends, check up with your support system, be supportive to the people that support you. It pays dividends every single day. Um, Literally, I have more than 40 conversations a day with 40 different people. And every one of them, I am happy to be a part of because we are reciprocating value to each other. I can be there for them. They can be there for me. If I need files right now, they can get me those files right now. If they need to check a mix through me, I'll check it right now. Being busy is being busy, but finding the time to be there for your support system and your friends is huge. Um, That was kind of a personal and a business one. Mix-wise. I don't want to say templates are good, but focus on speeding up the things that you do every mix. There are certain things that are just going to get done every single time, Um, even if it's just the big picture heavy lifting stuff, and then you can go back in and tweak your parameters. I'm not a template mixer. 
Um, I like everything to sound completely different, but there are just certain things that have to happen, especially in the tech world. If it's printing down drums and virtual instruments or something of the sort, find a way to speed up your workflow with automation um, and stop overthinking everything, mix in context, I don't know, do cool shit and reach out to the people that do cooler shit than you to figure it out so you'll get better. That was kind of a awesome, smorgasbord man. of random opinions. Sorry. No, that's great. <laughs> I love it. I love the smorgasbord. Thank you so much for coming on Project Freelance. If people want to find you, reach out to you, ask you some questions, uh, wh- just drop your website again, your social media, so that people know where to find you. Yeah, absolutely. Um, forgive me. I'm not a huge social media person. I have to look up my own Instagram name. Um, on Instagram, I am at Seeger underscore Rawls. That's S-E-G-E-R underscore R-A-U-L-S. Uh, my name is Seeger Rawls. Find me on Facebook. That's an easy one. Um, I definitely am always there or on Facebook Messenger. You can reach me anytime. My website is phoenixstudiosmusic.com. My email address is <laughs> phoenixstudiosmusic at gmail.com. Surprise, surprise. Uh, I am a human being. I will answer you if you reach out to me. I would love to talk with anybody that needs help with anything at all. But that's pretty much everywhere I think you can find me. Or my personal address is... No, I'm joking. Sorry. (laughs) (laughs) You can come to my house right now. (laughs) I'll be there. (laughs) Come knock on my door. It's fine. Hey, I mean, it's Nashville. It's like, that's something that I feel happens more often out there than it does out here. (laughs) Shit. Beautiful relationships are built off the craziest of circumstances. And I I love that. So true. So true. All right. Oh, I do actually have one more question for you that we need to talk about. Uh, So you're working on something right now um, for the future. You're building something huge that you're about to launch. Uh, Can you talk a little bit about that and like what that looks like for for your future? What's next for you? Gladly. Um, It's worth mentioning that first off, um, thank you for having me to speak on your Thank you for being on. Thank you for making this a reality and having me here. I, I'm absolutely flattered to be on something like this with you. Um, this next project that's coming up is The Way We Met, which is awesome. Um, I'm very glad to have met you and work with you. Um, so what we're doing here is an educational platform for people, not only for recreational entertainment, but um, the educational side is the mixing side. It's the what I do. Um, But the project in full is going to be a series of YouTube videos that are covers um, of popular material that we all love and enjoy. There will be some original content on there. I'll also be doing some educational stuff about some of my clients, anybody that wants to be a part of it. Um, But we're making a platform. We're going to host it um, on Patreon to start. It'll be a YouTube channel with a linked Patreon, and then the additional stuff will be on my website. But in full, YouTube videos content uh i think nick's gonna go for some reaction style stuff as well just to fill out the channel but in at its core it's gonna be badass covers of songs that we enjoy mixed intentionally very close to the records and the styles of the producers that mixed them just it's sort of a fun thing for me to to chase sounds here and there and try to do cool things that i've heard or replicate sounds um from the youtube channel we'll be releasing stem packs multi-track packs of every actual song file that we use 
every sound file for you to actually download and throw in your DAW and try to mix along and watch the educational content that comes with it to learn how to mix those tracks just the way we did. Um, we have a ton of awesome vocalists, uh, even other featured artists too. We're going to be featuring different mixers, different guitar players, different drummers. But uh, our first focus is different videographers and different vocalists. Um, we have a ton of really cool stuff. We're working with uh, Will Ramos from Lorna Shore. We're working with Nick Cross from Divisive. You yourself, Kay, um, is our doing, what have we done? Like three or four now? I think we're on three. Yeah. So the project is actually going to launch August 4th. That is in a few days time. Um, we're going to be dropping the first videos, which are current poverty of self featuring Nick Cross from divisive and bring me the horizons. Pray for plagues featuring Will Ramos of Lorna shore. So every month we're going to be releasing these and it starts August 4th. You can find that at our, uh, on our YouTube channel which will just be under Phoenix Studios. All right, that was my episode with Seeger Rawls. If you guys want to check out Phoenix Studios or any of his social media, I've put it all down in the description for you. Thank you guys for listening to another episode of Project Freelance. If you want to come on the show, please hit me up at Project Freelance on Twitter or Instagram. That's where you can find other show episode promos, things like that, to see who's been on the show. Also, if you guys are interested in getting notifications for the next episode, which will be next Monday, these come out every Monday, subscribe, leave a rating and feedback. Let me know what you like about the show. Let other people know what you like about the show. And if you do that, I will send you a signed photo print. Thank you for listening. My name is Kay, just the letter K. I'll talk to you guys next week. Stay strong. Keep enduring. Mm-hmm.